0: We, as a species, have emerged from the natural world and are part of it and um, have these deep capacities and resources for reconnecting. And when we reconnect and are, you know, in a sense, rewilded, we become more whole, we become more fully and deeply human precisely um, in our relationship to the more-than-human world to which we belong. Um, So there's massive ecological ramifications for this I I have the sense or like to say sometimes like we will work to protect and defend and restore and cultivate and participate um, that which we truly love there has to be that element of of communion of participation of, of deep belonging for the transformative, uh, restorative work that needs to happen in our day and age um, to to happen and unfold in the way that it needs to.
1: That's Reverend Matt Serdol. And this is The Emerging Future. Welcome to the Emerging Future Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Joel DeYoung. This is the podcast where we get to hear wisdom from the curious, compassionate, and courageous co-creators of our desired and emerging future. And today, we talk to nature-based soul guide, Reverend Matt Sirdal, who's rewilding what it means to be human. His work weaves in myth and ceremony in nature as a way for people to enter into conversation with the storied world in which they are a part. So in referencing this storied world, Matt says, there is a constellation of relationships with the more-than-human world in which our sense of selfhood, community, and myth emerges from a deep conversation that is always happening around us. This window of imagination, Matt says, is the way of co-participating and co-creating through our imaginal sense in a conversation with another that can't speak. So he says this in referring to the natural world. Nature is both the context and that which holds the wisdom to reveal one's soul, which Matt explains is a realm in and of itself. So he says the soul realm has nothing to do with primary relationships or vocation. It's not culturally constructed. It's completely beneath language. It's the place of connection with one's own deeper mythos. So he goes on to say that soul is ultimately our deepest, unique, mystical identity, even in the more-than-human world. It's our ultimate place that we were born to fill. Our spiritual and ecological niche. It's not a location or not just a location. It's a way of inhabiting the world that's uniquely ours and ours alone. Doesn't this sound good? (laughs) Okay, here's the catch. However, in order to be encountered by soul and to discover our deepest purpose in the world, which we all want to know and embody, right? We have to go through life stages of severance and wandering. So these are archetypal stages, and they're found in many of the major religions, like the Abraham story found in the three major world faiths, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. However, Matt's references for these stages, which he says, severance and wandering, it comes from Bill Plotkin's work and the Animus Valley Institute where Matt is in the Soulcraft Apprenticeship and Initiation Program, which the Animus website says is designed for those called by mystery to learn, co-develop, and implement an authentic contemporary Western nature-based path to soul initiation. And this particular path is marked by a descent into the underworld and this journey into the underworld this descent it's extremely uncommon in the western ascent oriented culture and in this conversation with matt matt talks about why this work is vital to developing initiated adults, particularly in our patho-adolescent society, and why it helps develop elders and ultimately healthy communities. So all this requires soul-centric development and eco-centric consciousness, which all sounds great, (laughs) ironically in addition to guiding the descent to soul matt is also a reverend at grace presbyterian church in denver colorado so on the surface this might sound like conflicting values or you know we got this traditional faith combined with the nature-based soul craft but below the surface matt's completely intentional about working to rewild the Christian narrative, which he explains is allowing its original power, its original spiritual intent as embodied in the person of Jesus to reemerge and reawaken into the world. So Matt and I had this conversation inside of a hollowed out ancient cedar stump just outside of Snoqualmie, Washington, and it proved to be the perfect place to explore these topics with Matt, who was actually in the Seattle area to co-host this region's first wild church experience, which he co-led with my wife, Mary DeYoung, who is an eco-theologian who also writes, speaks, and guides experiences into the sacred wild. And Mary's work can be found at waymarkers.net, waymarkers.net. Uh, so Reverend Matt Sirdal and his work is uh, expressing itself in a number of different ways. One is Wilder Soul, which is rewilding the self and reconnecting Christian leadership with the natural world through Celtic and ancient nature-braced nature braced nature-based practices. So that is a leadership-focused initiative. And then Matt's um, working on Church of the Lost Walls, and that's a convening of a wild church in the Front Range area of Colorado, and that happens once a month. And then, and then uh, Seminary of the Wild, which is designed to support eco-seminarians as they prepare to bring their own unique forms of transformative work into deeper service into the world. And their aim is uh, to have Seminary of the Wild nested within the seminary academic institution as a supplement and alternative for the traditional educational paradigm. And their first introduction will be at Ghost Ranch in New Mexico next year. The week of July 28th through August 2nd, 2019. And this event is called Wild Christ, Wild Earth, Wild Self. A nature-based introduction to Seminary of the Wild. And there are immersive nature-based experiences for adults and for kids as well. My family is planning to be there. So hopefully consider it and maybe we'll see you there too. For now, let's jump into the ancient, hollowed-out cedar stump and listen to the wisdom from Reverend Matt Sirdall. Matt, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you. So... We are in a stump. Do you think this is a Douglas fir, or what kind of tree do you think this?
0: Stump? Uh, it looks like uh, looks like cedar. Looks like old uh, cedar,
1: old growth cedar, old growth cedar. <laughs> growth cedar. Uh, th- probably
0: thousands of years old. Uh huh. Twelve hundred.
1: Um, so we are yeah sitting inside of a stump. This is by far the most unique setting to have a conversation. But I think it's really appropriate for the. For the topic and for the content Of this conversation um, I noticed that When we walked up here We were all huffing and chatting And then We got to this dump And then there was A sense of Something really special And sacred here Did you feel that? Mm-hmm. Yeah Like the place had been waiting for us Yeah and there there we there's we we had this idea to do this, but <laughs> but then when we when we show up all of a sudden I don't know, there's kind of a uh, kind of a bass note. Mm-hmm. Base note here. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, what are you feeling? Um, feeling the atmosphere.
0: Mm-hmm. The bird calls. Um the communication of the bird calls and um a slowing mm-hmm. um, into uh to some old memory mm-hmm yep and um uh, even a sense of a uh, little sense of grief here at this. This old one, mm-hmm. burned out, hollowed out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So feeling, um, feeling um, that this place is very thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very thin and um, connected to a lot of things here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of presences. So you were just. Yesterday you went and visited your old childhood home, mm-hmm. and when you're telling us that story, you had talked about the old girl stumps that you were playing in as a child. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, does this bring back some of those memories?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, <clears throat> yeah my um my childhood home in uh, Lake Forest Park on 169th street at the bottom of this cul-de-sac backed into uh... this um this forest that uh... Um, was a place where i spent countless hours exploring worlds within worlds and climbing felled logs that were covered in moss and um, it as a place of awakening child imagination and uh... just a real sensuous um relationship to to the earth to to place to the place where i'm from and um i felt this profound sense on this visit uh that i needed to return home Mm -hmm. um to my childhood home um to offer ceremony uh to to the woods behind my house which really feels like my my true birthplace and so um to be here actually uh may sound a little strange to be sitting inside this stump feels like a womb <laughs> of mm-hmm. sorts um
1: i feel a deep resonance here mhm yeah a lot of your work is uh has ceremony in- interwoven into it can can you speak a little bit about that and what that means to you
0: yeah yeah ceremony um is one of the oldest languages um, uh, through which human beings entered into conversation with a storied world in which they were a part. Um, what I mean by storied is um, uh, that there's this constellation of relationships with the more than human uh, others, what uh, David Abram calls the more than human world, um, in which We, um, our sense of uh, selfhood and our sense of community and our sense of myth emerges from this deep conversation that Mm -hmm. is always actually happening around us. And um, so people uh, who lived in indigenous communities and traditional societies that lived in this intimate communion with the world um, had this vast richness of... Uh, relating with this world um, for guidance and for wisdom and for um, provision in the hunt or or uh, or for food um, and for protection uh, from the elements and one of the ways they did this was by way of ceremony which is um, uh, a ritual enactment of a story and it's a way of uh, beginning conversation with the more than human other world and what's most potent about ceremony is that it's not an empty um, ritual it's not formalized it's deeply personal and intrapersonal Um, and ceremony um, is um, this way of approach and what I mean by that is um, how one approaches the world is how one sees the world and how one is shaped by that world. Mm -hmm. So it's very, uh, it's very important. This idea of approach that when we come into conversation with the others, um, we, we come with an intention that says, um, you are other and you are, um, this sort of autonomous mystery. Um, uh, it 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 gives the um it honors the other the utter freedom of the of the more than human others and their um their own sort of personality their own um animated life
1: to be witnessed and to be heard when you say the the others the more than human others what do you mean by that
0: yeah the more than human others is um a way of um, understanding Um, our world in um, through a series of of relationships that um, a a great analogy or metaphor would be something like a spider web um, that connects uh, connects different worlds of experience and also is that sort of tensile and um, elastic uh Uh, interrelatedness between all this rich biodiversity between all these uh, different beings that are constantly uh, in conversation with each other Um, and they speak in their own varied languages and and non-human languages Uh, but they do communicate they do they do speak and so to speak of the more than human other um, others the more the more than human world Uh, is to honor uh, at its core that we are participating beings Mm -hmm. in a story that has been told long before we arrived on
1: the scene. When you say that they speak to you, do you have a story that you could tell of when you were spoken to? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Sometimes um, the speech comes through different uh, what Stephen Gallegos calls windows of knowing. Um, different, um, uh, Steven Buhner, um, author of Plant Intelligence and the Imaginal World, talks about um, these different ways of, of perception um, kind of beyond our five senses, but including our five senses. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways of, of listening is to open um, open our presence and our body um, as widely as we can to the different membranes of contact with the world, the different senses, and so um, we're we're very much sight-dominated in the West, uh, in Western culture. We perceive basically just with our eyes, um, sometimes with our ears. <laughs> But uh, the animal world, the, the more than human world, uh, has, has much stronger perception and different senses, such as scent and hearing and, mm-hmm. and uh, feeling. And so um, that's one level is, is opening up the gates of our perception. Um, and one of those windows of knowing that's vastly important for uh, the work that I do is uh, the, the imagination, the window of the imagination um or what uh uh animus valley calls the deep imagination which is this way of um of co uh, participating and sort of co creating through um our imaginal sense this conversation with with another that uh can't speak english or <laughs> can't speak in audible words but speaks in a felt and intuitive uh sense. Yeah. So w- one example, um, would be, uh, and I feel like this is honoring to my experience with this other, I was on a vision quest, um, four years ago, something like that in the, uh, San Juan mountain range, um, at near Lone Cone Peak in, in Colorado. And, uh, we were camping out under tarps, so we didn't have tents. And, uh, we were right on the edge of this gorgeous meadow, and I was right under the tree line. And one morning I got up and I felt this strong and strange draw to, to kind of climb up over this hill. And when I climbed up over this hill, um, I saw this uh, bright, young uh, uh, field of um, aspens, young aspens. So it was this, this sort of bright yellowish-green um, light and energy. And uh, there, was, there was this morning mist kind of hanging over the roots of these trees. And far beyond, just just through this kind of dense cluster of aspens, I saw this big, dark, shadowy figure that looked like a hood. And uh, and so I, um, uh, through using some uh, sacred pipe and, and some... Um, Kinnick Kinnick, um, just sort of opened up ceremony to the four directions. And, um, as a way of kind of, um, thinning my consciousness and shifting consciousness a little bit to really open up all of my senses to, to who this one was and what might happen. And as I approached, um, it was this old stump, this old tree stump. And, uh, It was a solitary old tree that had once lived in this little grove of young aspens, and it had fallen and and decomposed, and the insides had rotted out. And um, I uh, had this experience of making contact, or actually being contacted by this this one uh, who uh, was uh, inviting me into a sense of my own relationship to death, into decomposition of, um, kind of my old ways of being in the world. And, um, I'll never forget it. I, um, I approached with, uh, with reverence and openness to, uh, what this one wanted to teach. And, uh, so over the next, the course of the next few days before my solo, uh, fast I kept returning every morning and uh, engaging in in this sort of listening this sort of conversation with this stump and I came to uh, um, call him in in a endearing in a sort of an endearing way I called him old man compost <laughs> and um, he uh, through that relationship and it and it initiated this entire journey um, back to my uh, some deep memories from childhood and and even before um and so that that sort of opened the doorway for um, a much larger conversation with the world than I
1: um, had ever anticipated. Wow, what a gift. I I appreciate the, w- the way that you told the story. It really gives like um a flow of the the engagement how it, the the stump was speaking to you and calling you calling you from even where you couldn't see the stump mm-hmm. over the hill and then kind of this this draw this okay this communicating with me and then having the awareness to go okay now I need to open myself up yeah now is the time for ceremony yeah because it's speaking Yeah. It's, it's sort of like being on holy
0: ground, Mm -hmm. on sacred ground. Mm. And, um, it's as if the, the place itself, um, opens up too, and, um, Mm. wants to speak or wants to listen in -hmm. response to, to my human presence. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by this, this relationship that, that emerges between the human and the more than human, Mm -hmm. um, uh, so in a in a sense, it's like a courtship. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's not going to find answers or to find wisdom or figure out my life. It's going to learn about who this one is and what this one mm. um, what this one has to say. It
1: provides more of an experience beyond like what you would ask for. Yes, or even know, yes, or even know that you uh-huh want
0: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, much richer um uh conversation and it maintains the autonomy of the other mm-hmm. it's not about me and and what my needs are it's about this relationship actually that's a big shift yeah
1: have you been back to the stump
0: not to that one but i feel um old man compost uh, i feel a, a, a strange resonance in this this place mm. and uh the place of my childhood home and uh other places mm-hmm. other forested
1: old growth bioregions so a lot of your work is is focused in around creating um opportunity for people to have these experiences. Um why why is this important? Mhm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's
1: um
0: many things uh that could be said about the importance of this work. Um one is um it is um, one of the pathways to becoming fully human again to being um, what we say in certain circles is um, rewilding what it is to be human um, to remember who we really are and where we truly belong and where we truly belong is within the greater earth processes and uh, cosmic cycles and mm-hmm. um, uh, we as a species, have emerged from the natural world and are part of it and um, have these deep capacities and resources for reconnecting. And when we reconnect and are, you know, in a sense rewilded, we become more whole. We become more fully and deeply human precisely um, in our relationship to the more-than-human world Mm. to which we belong. Um, so there's uh, massive ecological ramifications for this. I, I have the sense or like to say sometimes like we will work to protect and defend and restore and cultivate and participate um, that which we truly love. Mm-hmm. There has to be that element of of communion, <laughs> of participation, of... of deep belonging and mm-hmm. love in order for the transformative uh, restorative work that needs to happen in our day and age um, to, to happen and unfold in the way that it needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one angle. Um, the second angle is has to do with human development. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, one of my sort of mentors and teachers, Bill Plotkin, um, would say that um, what is needed in the world is um, uh, for, for um, ecosystems and for our world to be healthy and whole is for communities to become healthy and whole, human communities and their relationship to the world. But what's needed for human communities to become healthy and whole is for individuals to become healthy and whole, to be mm-hmm. um, rewilded and, and authentically belong, right, mm-hmm. to the more-than-human world. Um, and so what we've seen in our culture is um, um, this massive dissociation between humanity and human culture and the natural world. It's become something uh, to be feared, to be exploited and dominated and used, and... Mm-hmm. Um, but our original birthright inheritance, our original call uh, from a Christian perspective, our our sense of um, vocation, even from Genesis chapter one, is to is to cultivate and to serve the ground. Hmm. It actually says <laughs> to cultivate and serve the earth. Um, that's part of our ecological functioning mm-hmm. uh, in in this world, and so. Um, All that to say is there's a developmental process, a developmental shift that needs to happen for us to move um, from what Bill Plotkin calls pathological adolescence, Mm -hmm. um, which is basically what we see in our egocentric society, Mm -hmm. um, to have what's called sort of an ecological awakening into a really healthy um, uh, adolescence, um, developmental adolescence. And then to begin a journey of descent, actually, into our own, um, you could say, decomposition mm-hmm. and, um, and rebirth uh, into an initiated, mature adulthood, mm-hmm. um, or what, uh, what they call a soul-centric adulthood. Um, and these are all processes that need to happen for communities to become healthy and whole. We need elders and true adults, um, to, to take their place, uh, not just in human culture, but in our bioregions and watersheds and, mm-hmm. and, in our, um, uh, our ecological functioning. Uh, mm-hmm. so what, what Animus Valley calls us is, um, soul-centric development. Um, another euphemism for that would be ecocentric mm-hmm. development rather than egocentric.
1: Mm-hmm the the piece, ab- about, well, don't fall over. <laughs> I just <sunk> the-, <laughs> the piece about the descent, um, and reading Bill Plotkin's work seemed extremely profound to me, and and especially in human development circles, programs, leadership, it. That was unique to me, and that opened up a a whole um, a whole new it's like the other side, <laughs> you know that that nobody's talking about that um, really met me where when I was going through a major transition, it's understanding you know the descent. Can you can you just talk a little bit about what you mean by the descent?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um well well one would one would be to say um so i've heard it i've heard it asked something like we've had you know 5000 years of civilization and and religion and nothing's changed <laughs> sort of idea um the world is still in the predicament that it's in um and so one of the att- uh, attributions of that is um in um uh, our culture contemporary culture um, w- w- uh, in eastern cultures um, spirituality is typically f- focused on the ascent mm-hmm. which is um, the realm of spirit and, and the non-dual uh, transpersonal transcendent um, oneness and um, which is a very very important part of, of human development and our, um, our relationship uh, but um uh, most Western Westernized cultures have um, completely um, suppressed and denied, and, and severed, and sort of lost access to the other, equally uh, and and perhaps more vital uh, path of of the spiritual journey, which is the the descent. It's it's the journey down. So. Um, one one might say something like, "You have to go down before you can come up," you know, sort of idea. Or mm-hmm. um, in the Christian tradition, it's it's the the death uh, that comes before the resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's it's the dying, um, and uh, uh, it's not necessarily um, a death of of ego. That's um, uh, still part of of the ascent based uh, belief system. It's more something like you, um, you get to a point <laughs> in in your life where everything that you've created and the life that you you have um, shaped the the house of belonging that you've built to use a David White image um, is now now you're being asked to leave that house. <laughs> um, you've just spent your whole life building this beautiful house, metaphorically speaking, right? And one day, three strangers come to your door and knock on your door, and um, ask you to come come with them, ask you to leave. Um, archetypally, uh, this shows up in uh, in the Bible as uh, the journey of Abraham, uh, of Abram, uh, who leaves his people and his gods and his the the city behind and starts off on this massive journey. Um, this is uh, In the animus world this is called the um, archetype of the wanderer uh, for a good reason what happens is the world that we once knew and were once so sure about uh, no longer makes sense it it, um, uh, flattens as it were and we start to feel this this gravity happen in our lives we start to feel this downward pull Um, we start to feel this call um, that is more like the onset of a great storm. It's, um, there's some danger and there's some uh, incredible allurement that we start to experience. And everything that we've been taught and all of our um, religious organizations and our um, political leanings and everything else um, takes a back seat And even most of our relationships need to take a back seat during the descent. It's a time um, when we're invited to stride deeply into the world, and we're not assured that there's going to be any safe return. In fact, um, maybe even unbeknownst to us, we're actually going to die in some psycho-spiritual way. Um, so the journey uh, of descent is um, sort of uh, in Nature and the Human Soul and, and animus framework would be something like um, severance. It would be a severance from the first half of life, um, the, the world that we once knew and, and lived in. Um, there's not much we can take uh, for the journey that can, that can possibly prepare us. Hmm. And most of us, um, there are, aren't a lot of people that ever sort of experience this stage of life tragically. But for those of us who have experienced um, this, this wanderer, uh, the call of the wanderer in our lives, there are no more uh, social or cultural um, safety nets. There are no, um, oftentimes no elders or mentors um, available uh, for many of us who begin the wandering journey To kind of come alongside of us, Mm -hmm. and so, oftentimes people will get, um, uh, will be wandering, the rest of their lives, and (sighs) will not really know uh, where where that where that comes out. But the wandering phase is really important to strip us, uh, strip us down into a core, um, uh, a core way of being in the world in which we are susceptible to have what's called a soul encounter, which is um, a sort of a, a mystical and otherworldly, underworldly um, uh, uh, relationship um, with, with the numinous, with the world of images and dreams and uh, uh, with our own deeper um, mythos, if you will and that deeper mythos is not something that's culturally constructed it's not earned it's not um it has nothing to do with our vocation hmm. it has n- uh, nothing to do with our primary relationships it is something uh, completely beneath um uh, even language and that's why we we say it's sort of the realm of the soul it's because the soul um which is something you could say is um, our deepest, unique, um, our deepest, unique mystical identity. Um, something like our ultimate place hmm. that we were born to fill um, in the more-than-human world. It's, it's um, uh, you could say it's our s- um, spiritual and ecological niche. Um but it's not just a location, it's, it's really um, a, a way of inhabiting the world that uh, is uniquely ours and ours alone. Mm. And um, in order to uh, be encountered by soul and to discover our deepest purpose, you could say, in the world, um, we have to go through this period of severance and wandering um, in order to be susceptible. To to uh,
1: have these encounters, mm-hmm. Be- and is this uh, is there an age range where this typically happens?
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting um, because in in healthy cultures, uh, in in traditional societies, um, uh, this is something that would happen often in in childhood, uh, in late childhood, as children would become adults, initiated adults. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but in Western society, um, uh, this is something that, um, usually happens, starts to occur in, uh, the second half, moving into the second half of people's lives, often in, um, uh, in their forties or fifties or sixties and oftentimes never, never at all. never even happens. Mm. Um, and I've I've met people who uh, are quite a bit younger who have have really um, entered into the descent uh, sometimes in their twenties, late twenties, or or thirties, and that's 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 pretty rare too. Hmm. Um, uh, but it is a, a time where um, it only happens when we are developmentally ready uh, to to begin the descent and to explore the mysteries of nature and 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 the psyche the the human soul. Mhm. And
1: the dis, the descent is not fabricated, right? Like you can't it's something that you're pulled into.
0: Yeah. Is that is yeah. that accurate? Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. You cannot make it happen. Uh-huh. Um, you can respond to it and you can be abducted by it.
1: Mhm.
0: Um Sometimes, uh, this happens through, uh, the experience of trauma mm-hmm. or massive loss or personal crisis where one's, where one's world, uh, drops out, um, that, that can initiate, um, a, a path of descent for, for, mm-hmm. for people. Um, but oftentimes without, um, guides uh, who know the territory, yeah, and are able to help um, hold space for that journey. It can be treacherous. Yeah, um, the descent can be a dangerous uh, journey.
1: So the descent can, with a with a guide, can help someone find essentially their sole purpose or their the reason that. They're existing in this time, um, and with that comes um, kind of a greater sense of interconnectedness and interrelatedness with uh, why they're here. And would you would you say that kind of the the whole purpose, if you will, of kind of the animus program, which I'd like you to talk about a little bit is to help people through these stages to um, to have more initiated adults and to build, and the more initiated adults we have will um, create richer, more whole communities and mm-hmm. ultimately respond in a more um, empathetic and harmonious way with our existence
0: yeah 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 that's a great great way to put it yeah
1: so um tell me a little about uh, a little bit about animus valley institute so you're currently in well you've been involved with that program for how long
0: uh probably about six years now okay
1: and you're in a an apprenticeship program yes so what's that
0: all about uh, it's called the uh, Soulcraft uh, Adult Initiation uh, Program. Okay. Um, and uh, say it's called the Sape uh, Program, and um, it's specifically for uh, people who um, have have encountered something in their relationship to soul as uh, sort of an image that um, uh, expresses itself in. Um, underworld territory and being being an underworld guide hmm. um uh, or you could say a guide of the descent uh, descent to soul um who you know uh, animus typically works with um people in uh um, a couple particular stages of, of human development as okay. sort of their role and um um uh, and Animus has been around i want to say that their slogan is uh, guiding the descent to soul uh since i think 1980 or something I'd, i feel mm. bad i don't know the date there but uh uh they've been uh they have a really incredible program that i i haven't seen something similar in my kind of searching and in research um to to the specific work that they do mhm
1: uh, in that regard. And you're also, uh, a trained pastor too. Is, uh-huh. is, is that yeah. accurate too? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh-huh. there's, there's that whole world yeah. as well. So, um, tell me about that a little bit and how these two worlds work together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. That's great. Um, I get that question a lot.
0: <laughs> I get, um, uh, bewilderment
1: uh, yeah. when I meet certain people, like well, everybody wants you just <laughs> to just be one thing, right? Yeah, just uh-huh. you, just be this. I want to put you in this, yeah. this yeah. box. I want
0: to understand. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah for sure. <laughs> um, and then I do get some people that are just really excited that uh, here is somebody who is coming out of the Christ tradition and and uh, has been a uh, card carrying pastor, mm-hmm. you know and yet is engaged deeply in this work and sort of like what's that about you know Mm -hmm. what's happening here you know so um i do feel it's important to share that part of my story yeah 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 so um i went through seminary uh back in 2004 2007 and um was exploring the path to to uh ministry wasn't sure i was going to be a pastor um, was really interested in philosophy and theology and just sort of learning um uh learning and I think the root of that really was um, um I'd had some uh, mystical experiences some numinous encounters throughout my life and it was sort of like what's happening here? I want to know what this is and what really w- what the world is and what god is and and what is my role and and um we, who am I, who am I to become? You know, sort of what's, what's my calling? Mm -hmm. You know, how can I be in service to the world? Mm -hmm. And so I went to uh, seminary for three years and um, learned the biblical languages and studied and, um, uh, you know, came across people of different denominational backgrounds and uh, was really um, in, uh, in the Christian mystical tradition. That was sort of my Sense of belonging in my path, and um, I uh, just love Saint Francis of Assisi and Saint John of the Cross and Hildegard of Bingen and these um, these Christian mystics and the the Celtic tradition and and um, and then I um, got involved in in church ministry in church work, and um, uh, it's a a very challenging. Uh, uh, very challenging vocation for a number of different reasons one is the culture that we live in Um, another is the structures of institutionalism that um, I feel often divert um, and and stymie and suppress that that sort of God given longing um, that people come to church for in the first place (laughs) that desire to connect with with uh, the divine, with
1: the sacred other, that—that's why they're there. Right?
0: That's why, they're <laughs> or that's why they should be there, right? I think uh, so. Yeah. You know, and plus the c- the community, the the all important quest for authentic community that people are just dying, literally dying for, um, that that the church uh, is in some sense a vehicle, um, and so I came in, and and uh, it was a. Um, it was sort of like this purification of intent where um, all of the reasons I'd, I'd signed up for this and pursued this path um, were just confronted with these forces beyond my control that were daunting and and um, disheartening and uh, disillusioning and uh, a source of grief. Um, the sense of woundedness, right? Um, And how many of us are deeply and profoundly wounded and um, fragmented and um, uh, disconnected from what Parker Palmer calls our our hidden wholeness, our um, life beyond all other lives that is waiting to be lived in us and lived through us. The sense of, um, in the Christ tradition, uh, the spirit, you know, the... um, uh, how, how do we you know sort of how do we follow Jesus how do we become like Jesus rather than merely believing in in Jesus right um, so with all these questions I came to this place um, of unraveling a bit and realized that I was uh, missing something I was missing something big and had this intense longing and so um, I found out about this guy Richard Rohr, uh, this Franciscan priest who is doing some interesting work with uh, men's groups and rites of passage and um, uh, contemplative Christianity. That was exciting to me. And um, I also found out through some friends um, about this mysterious troublemaker <laughs> named, named Bill Plotkin, and got turned on to some of his books and. So I read Soulcraft and I was like, yes. That's a game changer book. (laughs) That's a game changer. Yes. You know, um, this is, this is, this feels like what I've been looking for, uh, and talking about ceremony and dreams. And I'd had these two, uh, big dreams, these two childhood dreams and, and, uh, I was, I'd, I'd just been carrying them around my whole life and I had no one to talk to about them because nobody thinks much of dreams and, uh, there's not much conversation around that. And so, uh, a conference opened up, uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico called, uh, Nature and the Human Soul. And it was, um, kind of co-keynoted by, um, Richard Rohr and Bill Plotkin. And so I, Said okay. Here's my opportunity. <laughs> so I signed up. I packed up my car and headed off for Albuquerque for about four it was a four day conference. And I was just deliciously surprised to be in the presence of uh, you know something like a thousand or twelve hundred people um, from these diverse backgrounds, um, burnt out Catholics, wounded Catholics, uh, injured. Christians, um, nuns and dons, people just disaffiliated. I'm, I'm sort of done with the whole rigmarole of the institution. Um, but the energy was palpable. There was this, um, this sense of anticipation and longing and kind of a camaraderie and a, a, a witnessing that was happening with, with strangers that I'd never experienced before, uh, probably in church or in, uh, you know, rarely and, um, and certainly not in other conferences that I'd been to. And so this conference um, was structured so that it wasn't just talking and listening, but there were um, different ways of coming together in community through cohorts and through um, uh, small group circles and through dyads and triads of sharing um, an authentic uh, community and being seen and witnessed and wandering out on the land and um, this kind of experiential, immersive uh, aspect to the conference. And um, I, I happened upon <laughs> this, this woman, um, I, I, I won't name any names just for privacy sake, but a, a woman who was going through the Animus program be uh, training to be a guide. And, uh, I said, listen, I, I have these two dreams <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what to do with them. And I, I would love to talk with somebody about them and, you know, and so the next day she, she worked these two dreams with me. And, uh, uh, that was my first experience doing dream work and soul centric dream work nonetheless. And, um, it was a powerful, uh, imaginal experience for me to, to work these dreams, to enter back into these dreams. Um, and afterwards she gave me an invitation to, uh, physically enact, uh, one of my dreams in the world, in the ordinary daytime world. And so she gave some suggestions on how I might do that. The next day, um, I was, uh, uh in between, um, speaking engagements and we're out in the coffee bar area where people sell stuff and gather and chat and laugh and drink some coffee. And I'm looking out the window and um, I see these uh, looking out on the grounds and there's the Rio Grande um, hundreds a few hundred yards out and this big band of dark trees these big gnarled cottonwood trees and uh the sun's shining and it's catching fire on this um sort of sea of wheat this kind of wheat field and there's these ripples um going out from the wind kind of blowing from behind um where i was and i i just shifted into this dream i I didn't even try i just sort of shifted into this dream and um i started i opened the door and walked out and just just started walking out through this field toward these, these trees. Um, and I had this, uh, soul encounter. I had this, uh, kind of underworldly experience being out on the land that cracked me open. And I had this massive, um, I, uh, emotional, Uh, I started sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and howling and howling in the wind and crying harder than I'd ever cried in my entire life and I felt this reservoir of grief coming up through the land up through my body um, and uh, uh, all this energy and heat and um, uh, I I felt the the lament of uh, the ones who had been there before Mm the people, the tamayame, uh, who had been there before and lived in this place. Um, and uh, I crossed this threshold out into these trees and this sobbing, this wild howling turned into laughter <laughs> and just laughing harder and louder than I'd ever laughed in my entire life. And um, it was just this purging kind of experience. And I, um, as I walked back, uh, this probably lasted at least an hour, and as I walked back to the conference center, and uh, I was kind of giggling to myself, uh, just like, "What was that? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> um, you know, like, am I going crazy here? Right? Am I losing my marbles?" Um, as you're pouring your cup of coffee, <laughs> <just> <laughs> as I'm as I'm returning to this this conference totally. center, I probably looked like a you know, a wild animal or something coming back (laughs) to this place and all disheveled from the wind and stuff clung to my clothes. Were you the guy that was just (laughs) crying out in the field and (laughs) laughing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I had this, this strange sense that something had happened Uh that, um, needed to happen that, um, almost like I offered some sort of gift by walking out into the land and that something in my life had actually come to an end had yeah. had completed and and the sense that now i was ready for something and um i also was like whatever this is i want more of it yeah this is this feels like the missing a missing piece that i'd been longing for mm-hmm. so um that that started my uh my pursuit of um working with animus valley
1: mm-hmm. uh
0: programs
1: so then um what does it mean to be working with them then do you go on different excursions or um intensives what 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 does it mean to be working with animus valley yeah um yeah so uh
0: they have um a whole host of offerings um everything from, um, um, wild mind programs, which are kind of rooted in, um, Bill's, Bill Plotkin's book, wild mind, which really focuses on, um, uh, cultivating, um, our original wholeness Mm -hmm. and cultivating the four facets of, of our wholeness, um, parts of us that we might not even have known exist. Um, wild and um sensual and erotic and um in our relationship to uh to the land and to the others and um uh, the deeply imaginal realm of dreams and deep imagery and soul and um these parts of of us that we have um systematically uh, suppressed in our culture and have been kind of schooled out of us in in childhood um this way of of beauty and intense gratitude, and a, a way of um, uh, delight and innocence, and in, in the way that we are in the world, and that uh, children have by by nature. You yeah. Know? Um, so they have these programs, and then uh, they also have the Soulcraft programs, which are designed to um, help people journey through the descent mm-hmm. to soul, and to uncover their own unique mythopoetic gift, their their hmm. deepest identity in that uh, relationship, that encounter with soul, and then to return, in a sense, um, and embody that, that gift for mm-hmm. the people and for the more-than-human world. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in other words, it's, it's, um, it's an initiation program, mm-hmm. an, an initiation into soul-centric adulthood, Um, which is what animus specializes in. Do you feel that you found your mythopoetic identity? I do. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm also learning ever more Mm -hmm. facets and uh, dimensions and uh, and elements of that um, uh, through my my ongoing work Mm -hmm. and training and actually feel myself um, embodying that Mm -hmm. in, uh, in relationships and in my own work, uh, that I'm doing. So I'm, I'm learning and I'm, uh, uh, definitely growing and and developing, uh, in that Mm -hmm. uh, process, but, uh, but I'm I'm actually beginning to really embody that in the
1: world. Mm -hmm. Do you, can you name that what it is, or is that something you you keep private? That's, if you don't want to share. Yeah,
0: that's um, most of that. I'll I'll keep I'll keep private. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can share that. Um, I see myself as um, uh, really uh, bridging the worlds between soul and uh, the middle world of of, uh, human culture, Mm -hmm. and um, helping to rewild and return people to their uh, deep original relationship with uh, the wild world and um, through soul encounter. And that's what this bridging work really is, is it's offering um, a sort of decomposition of our old images and structures that no longer work, that no longer serve Mm -hmm. us individually or serve our culture. And through that decomposition and that that sort of fertile soil, that new seeds, uh, seeds of new life and new ways of being in the world can emerge. That's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you seem lit up about it. I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so you're also um you know working with the christ tradition as well are you are you really trying to weave those two together
0: yes yeah it's 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 my passion it's mm-hmm. a big part of why I feel I'm here on this earth, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's scary um and sometimes the vision seems too big or, or like who am I <laughs> you know who am, who am I to think that I can have any impact or involvement uh, in this but I do feel that I have been placed here in this certain way with my um, specific sort of identity to um, to, to um, weave these two threads mm-hmm. in a sense but, but really what it is is um, it's bridging, but it's also um, sort of rewilding our understanding of God. it's it's a it's it's rewilding our narrative, our Christian narrative um, and allowing its original um, uh, its original um, power, its original psychoactive power, its original spiritual, intent and energy, um, as embodied in the person of Jesus, uh, to be, um, to reemerge actually, to, to reawaken into, um, our culture and into, into our world. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so another way of saying it in terms of rewilding is that, um, the, the person and the message and the, the work, the actual Work that the Christ tr- tradition represents has been um, domesticated and colonized mm-hmm. for centuries, and has been reduced, <laughs> uh, tragically so. Um, but if you if you return to the scriptures um, through kind of a new lens, a new a new paradigm, you start to see the emergence of something that's much more wild and much more. Enli- enlivening and much more connected to uh the cosmos and to to the natural world um, uh, a message that's worth living for and and really worth dying for mm-hmm. you know uh, a way of being that's um, consonant really with um, uh, the, the sort of the core of most indigenous traditions mm-hmm. you know so i have this the sense that um this the the Christian myth really and it's myth doesn't mean it's a fantasy it just it just means it's this deeper story really, this um, living story mm-hmm. um, the Christian myth or the Christ myth is something that I see as um, its roots going all the way back to the origins of things, you know mm. perhaps even before humanity, right mm-hmm. um, and that from that cosmology, the indigenous, Tribes and peoples are participating in that same myth. They're participating in that same story in their own storied uh, relationship with the world. Mm-hmm. And so, part of what Christianity, what the Christ tradition can offer, if it's truly rewilded, is a bridge uh, back to the origins and, and unto the f- to a viable future mm-hmm. for our planet that
1: sounds like something worth living for <laughs> 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 uh-huh so um if people want to explore this work with you yeah are you doing some some more um, intensives mm-hmm. soul journeys how do how do people find you and and get involved with your work yeah
0: um, they can find me a couple of ways um one channel is through um, Church of Lost Walls, which mm-hmm. is um, a community, a uh, sort of a wild church uh, community that I've started recently and and in kind of developing right now. Uh, that meets uh, in a watershed near the Denver area, which um, um, is is connected to my my home church um, and uh, meets on a, a monthly basis. Okay. Um, and then um, that's uh, through the website, uh, churchoflostwalls.org. And then um, I also uh, have developed this Wildersoul community that focuses more on the leadership side of things um, within the uh, Presbyterian church right now. Mm. Um, but it's sort of an inter-, interdenominational, um, uh, uh, Im- immersive, experiential track for uh, for, uh church leaders um so we we will offer um two to two to four day intensives um a couple times a year and that's on the website as well okay Uh uh-huh and uh it's part of my this integration work between animus and the the christ tradition Mm -hmm. um celtic tradition um and then um i'm in conversation right now with a group of leaders who have been doing this work as well this um, animus and wild mind work in um, uh, uh, developing a, a, a seminary of the wild, actually, um, that will hopefully um, be nested within the, the seminary uh, academic institution mm. as a supplement and alternative uh, for the traditional educational paradigm sounds um, awesome and we're we're really excited about that and our yeah. first um, introductory uh, offering of Seminary of the Wild will be uh, uh, at Ghost Ranch in uh, 2019 okay so there will be details to come is that a, a website to Seminary of the Wild yes Seminary of the Wild um, is under construction in its first iteration and about to go live uh, very soon probably in the next couple of weeks. Very cool.
1: Yeah. And what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and
0: tomorrow um I'm working with your lovely wife um in um partnering with Waymarkers. Uh Wildersoul and Waymarkers are partnering to offer a uh wild church, a church of the wild um experience that brings in some of the work I do with Church of Lost Walls and um Uh, some of the work that Waymarkers does and their rewilding uh, retreats and that sort of thing to expression here in Seattle to Mm -hmm. kind of introduce this work uh, to Seattle folks and um, I hope to have the opportunity to come back to Seattle and and continue this
1: work yeah well I'm excited to explore more with you yeah Um, and yeah just to go deeper with you I'm really delighted that you came out here me too and we got it's to been, do do been incredible <laughs> <laughs> awesome. and you guys have been wonderful hosts oh. <laughs> well we're happy to host you anytime thank you yeah it's just the ceilings are a little small down there, so <laughs> <laughs> for a big tall Sasquatch like myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah well thank you Matt
0: thank you and thank you St- Stump thank you old yeah old one yeah beautiful